Now, in keeping with the summary of the book of Revelation being the summation of all things, we want to continue to look at the superiority of man over angels. All the while, John is being given this tour of heaven, but more to the point, he's being shown the future, he's accompanied by an angel. Now he said, Now I, John, verse 8, saw these things, and when I and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things." Um, these presences, when taken in through the natural senses, and by presences I mean angelic presences, could be quite um, terrifying, certainly impressive to humans who are still thinking as humans at the time. We see the same or similar occurrence in the book of Daniel where he himself, Daniel is being given a prophetic uh, vision and this prophetic vision is occurring um, while he's lying on his bed at night. But all the dimensions of feeling and, and emotions associated with his humanity is being uh, implied or being employed actually. Uh, he's fully engulfed as it were and his humanity remains a continuing and, and profound element of all of these uh, revelations and visions. And the overpowering nature of this otherworldly experience brings a certain edge of terror. I am um, undone is a common expression. So one can understand that in the presence of beings with superior physical capabilities, both in terms of stature and strength and power, and power to project uh, force, uh, seemingly superior in intelligence, at least knowing more about what, what is being shown to the human than the human knows, uh, these, these and other factors and their fearlessness, their familiarity with the invisible world, uh, their abilities in combat 
vis-a-vis uh, -vis the demonic spirits that they often are in combat, engaged with in combat. All these things tend to create a sort of super real um, at, create super real attributes to angelic and demonic spirits. When humans, still clothed in the mindset of their humanity, um, are in those environments. And here, John, after all that he has seen, you know, beginning with seeing the Lord in the first uh, portion of the book of Revelation, where he fell uh, as at the feet of the Lord as if he were dead. Now in that instance, he was not rebuked, but stood up and, and told that uh, it was that he simply needed to obey and to, um, to be in present in the moment. But here he's told, rebuked sharply actually by the angel um, who said, uh, see that you do not do that for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren and prophets and those who keep the word of the book, uh, worship God. Now, even if he were a brother in Christ, as this might suggest, and yet he's, he's, uh, the description of him, of this being, is that he's an angel. So let's take it from the standpoint that he is an angel. If he's a human, then we understand that he's equal to John. But the fact that and of your brethren may well mean also, I'm on the side of. Uh, and we know that certain of the angels rebelled and rejected being servants to the brethren, servants to God and such. But uh, certain ones, it would appear by number two-thirds of the angels, remained faithful. They are then our servants and servants of the body of Christ. Servants of God, servants of the body of Christ and in this instance uh, of your brethren the prophets, he was there are certain angels, we, again we saw this example in, in the book of uh, uh, Daniel. Um, there are other indications in Scripture of angels serving the prophets as they are taken into realms of transcendence to see things. So this would imply to me that Angels being ministering servants are created for specific tasks. We know, for example, that they're warring angels. Uh, Michael is the captain of that host. We know that they're messenger angels. Gabriel is the captain of the host of angels who serve in a, in a messaging capacity. There would appear to be uh, servants, angelic servants, 
who guide, who serve as guides to prophets when prophets are operating out of the natural world. I have thought somewhat about what are, what are the specific competencies um, with which angels are uh, endowed when they serve the prophets, when they serve to guide uh, prophetic personages as they navigate the realm of the invisible and the realm of the unseen. One of the things we know about such angels, about such environments, is that they can be replete with demonic influences attempting to distort the vision of the prophets. Very clearly when Jesus was in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, he was in a physical environment but he was also in an otherworldly environment. For example, he was taken to the pinnacle of the temple. Well, that would not, I mean, he didn't have to climb up uh, laboriously to the pinnacle of the temple, some 600 feet above the ground. Uh, he was suddenly in that environment or taken uh, to a great and high mountain and shown all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Again, this is where the environment of the supernatural transcends the environment of the natural and all the rules of the natural are suspended. In that environment, Satan was present. We do know that after this encounter, when Satan left him, angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. So in these supernatural environments where humans are not, uh, humans do not appear to be familiar from experience with supernatural environments, there can also be demonic presences within these environments and it would appear that at least part of the work of angels who serve the prophetic brethren as they navigate the heavens or as they navigate the eternal, as they move around in environments in which uh, the natural order of things is suspended, that they are angels with that particular competence. Secondly, we do know that there are books written in heaven, that there are books in heaven in which future matters are recorded and the angel with, uh, who came to see Daniel said, I've come to tell you these things because they're written in the books. So angels can look into certain re records in heaven 
But we know that when God wishes to conceal a matter altogether, he hides it in himself. Um, The Apostle Paul speaks to that in his letter to the Ephesians, which says, you know, things that were hidden, that God hid in himself for long ages past. So, likely before the earth itself was created and before angels were created, before the heavens were created, there are certain things that God chose to retain exclusively for himself. Now those things are actually the governing things that have to do with the epochs, the times, the seasons, because we know about, we know that to be true because it's what's said. It said, it is not, Jesus answered his disciples when they asked, when shall these things be concerning the return of the Lord? Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons in which God, uh, that God has kept by his own authority. So they're things that God hasn't written in books, but instead has hidden them in himself. The Holy Spirit who searches the mind of God is the only one with access to these things and may bring them forth. These are the secrets of God, particularly as they relate to the times, times and seasons. This you see is a major withholding on the part of God that disadvantages the enemy spectacularly. You'll remember when Jesus was born, Satan didn't actually know that he was born. But once he discovered uh, that he was born, he went on a frantic search to find him using Uh, human agencies like Herod to try to discover him and to try to kill him. So the, the disadvantage to the enemy of not knowing the times and seasons is enormous. God simply withheld from creation things that, uh, that had those things been revealed the manner of engaging the angelic would have to be different. You notice I didn't say would not be possible because with God, of course, all things are possible. But part of what we're getting to see is the mind of God, how being able to control the timing of a matter is more of an advantage than we could hardly imagine because it thwarts every plan of the enemy, it potentially thwarts every plan of the enemy to form an effective defense or to proceed with an effective attack upon the plans of God. These things we should keep in mind, so much so that our reliance on God should not be fitful, but certain, secure, predictable because he will stand up in his position of histemi 
he will stand up whenever we are laid low by obedience and faith. So an angel who guides the prophetic knows what's written in the books, but, but, they are more especially governed by commands from God regarding times and seasons which God has hidden in Himself, commands from God regarding the fact that these times have come. These angels have been pre-qualified by the fact that they rejected uh, an association with rebellious angels and now have remained faithful, tested in that environment and can be trusted to guide uh, the prophetic personages, the brethren who are, the, who are prophets and those who keep the words of this book. So uh, there seem to be um, enough said in Scripture about things that are magnificently revealing, wonderfully insightful about the realm of God, but for the most part hidden in plain view. Now this angel, uh, a fellow servant of your brethren the prophets, um, by deconstructing it in that fashion we're able to see that it really was an angel guiding him and not, not one of the brothers, but an angel like many angels having specific assignments created for particular roles and functions. We know for example that there are angels who are associated with destruction. We've looked at them throughout the book of Revelation, they bring forth the vials of the wrath of God or the bowls of the wrath of God. It would, it would, it would appear that they waited all this while since their creation, they waited in their place for this moment. Now if you understand that their time frames are possibly the time frames of God in which a day is as a thousand years, it's not so much that uh, they are exalted in patience and that their characters are characteristic of patience and long-suffering, but rather that in the environment of God time is very differently assigned and calibrated. So they wait for their day. We know that there were certain angels, for example, fallen ones, who were bound by the great, there were four great angels bound by the great river Euphrates and there was, they, they had an assigned destiment, uh, they had an assigned uh, destiny for a particular time, place and circumstances. So 
man is greater than the angels. Angels serve the sons of God even in the most exalted capacities for the functioning of angels, they're still the servants of the sons of God. This takes us right back to the book of Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 which say in the in principal part, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. But to the Son, namely the Lord Jesus Christ and by extension those who are of the body of Christ, to the Son He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever and righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. If we are in Christ, it says, and they shall rule and reign with Him forever and ever. That's verse 5, the last part of verse 5, and they, the body of Christ, the overcoming saints, they whose names at the end of chapter 21, Uh, names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They, that's the they in question, they shall reign with Him forever and ever. Now part of their reign, part of their rule, certainly in the millennium, is over angels. In fact, angels will accompany the rulers during the millennium and are by and large the enforcers of divine judgments and divine decrees. But uh, even when there are no angels, for angels are created beings and they never are sons of God, what I don't know is if they need forever and ever to be enablers or servants in the capacity of those who do the bidding of the sons of God. I don't know that. I don't know that angels will perpetually exist. That depends on what God has in store beyond the millennium and what He has in mind to do in these portions that we're reading that indicate God is all in all, that the collective body of Christ becomes the housing or the dwelling place of the living God Himself. But in the book, in in the verses that follow on from verse number 6 of Revelation 22, He is summarizing things and He steps back from the final piece that he, has, that he has taken us to in verse 5 and he's showing things now in a prior sequence. So for example, he says, these are the words faithful and true, uh, word of the holy prophets, God sent His angel to show His servants the things that must shortly take place. So he's backing up to where we are at the present 
and moving forward through all that he has delineated in the previous uh, 22 chapters up to verse 5. And then he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. So uh, keep the words of this book. That is to say that in the economy of God's timing, once these, this sequence begins, the quickly is the rapid, the rapid unfolding of all that has been spoken because indeed it has been prepared and ready to come at the point at which Jesus says, uh, Jesus understands that it's time for things to come. So then he said, the angel who guided him refused, properly so, refused to serve, refuses worship because true worship belongs only to God and certainly not to angels because man, though he was made a little lower than the angels, when it says he was made a little lower than the angels, doesn't speak of the nature of man, speaks of the position of man vis-a-vis the angels. Man is in the lowest realm of the created world. Earth is the lowest of the realms. The second heavens is the seat of the demonic, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So man was assigned a position of greater vulnerability uh, than the angels, although his position as a son makes him superior to the angels. Now we don't yet see that, but we see Jesus who was among us and therefore a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. We also see that even while Jesus was on the earth, whenever he encountered Satan and one of the temptations in the wilderness in particular, he rebukes Satan by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God. When Satan said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. The rebuke that Jesus addressed him with said, I am the Lord, you are always the servant, so you will know your place. Even when Jesus was here, he behaved in this earth, lower than the angels in position, he behaved in, lower than the angels in placement. He behaved in a position, behaved from a position that evinced the vast superiority of the Lord over any created being. So that is why the angel who served the prophets or an angel who served the prophets in the manner that we've described refused worship when a human, a son of God, mistakenly offered him that. Now, he offered that worship out of his ignorance of his true position 
and being in an environment not native to what he was familiar with, it seemed right to him to do that but it is a teaching moment for him and for us to be reminded that the Son is the radiance of His Father's glory and the exact representation of His Father's being and therefore the Son is greater in creation than all other beings ever created. It's important for us as we summarize the book of Revelation to be reminded that what God had in mind was a man in the image and likeness of God Himself and that He looked to the end of creation, to the, when, when these things would be summarized, He looked to the end of creation when He described a man in His image and likeness. It was not at the beginning of creation when He created Adam that He established the man in His image and likeness. It's here at the end when Christ, the many-membered man, is in fellowship with, in association with His body that is also described as His bride, that is also described as a city, that is finally described as the dwelling place of God, that we see the final picture. And I use this opportunity um, presented by, the, by John falling down and uh, attempting to worship an angel, I use that opportunity to remind us that the final outcome of man in the image and likeness of God is the whole point of creation and at that juncture man and angel alike know the reality that a man in the image and likeness of God finally exists in creation albeit in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll continue our summarizing of the book of Revelation as we continue. I'm Sam Solon, we'll see you then, bye for now.